In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ, with your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Whoa, Radio World, Radio World, what's up? This is the Spartan. Welcome to another episode of Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ. I have such a treat for you right now with this episode. I am like literally on cloud nine. I am in the, again in the car with my dear friend Michelle. Say hi, Michelle. Hello. And we just got back from an amazing talk. Another talk. This seems to be our thing nowadays is our talks, right? Our speakers. We are on our way home now from Ocean City, New Jersey. Uh, and we went to a place. It was called um, Ocean City Tabernacle, correct? Correct. And we were able to see an amazing, amazing speaker na- uh, known. His name is Jay Warner Wallace. Now, why is this important? Because in my, for those who know... For those who know, the, the past seven months have been my strongest in terms of coming close, um, connected to my faith in Christianity. And a big part of that was the historical record of Christianity, but more importantly, Christian apologetics, which you already know about since you heard my, my uh, two episodes ago. So today, Jay Warner Wallace came all the way from California, Southern California, right? Yes, L.A. Oh, he's from L.A., right. Yeah, he works in L.A. He's an L.A. Uh, LA detective, and he uh, uses... And he has books about this, his forensic faith, his, uh, I'm sorry, his forensic skills to go ahead and prove uh, the existence of the Christ. And in this speaking uh, event specifically about the empty tomb. So that's where we're coming back from now. And we were just, you know, just blown away from that. How do you feel about the experience? <laughs> I feel like I still have been more of a rock star than last week when we were meeting rock stars. Yeah, he is a rock star. You know, because I said to her, I said to her, I'm like, um, I have um, Jay Warner Wallace's podcast on my thing, and I haven't really heard him yet. And I'm like, I heard one episode. I'm like, um, okay, I gotta get, I gotta get used to this guy. You know, okay, all right, he's cool, but you know, I, I don't know him well in the podcast world. And then all of a sudden, we met him, and let me tell you something. He was a cool guy to talk to on the side, wasn't he? I told you so. Yeah, yeah, you I told have, me so. I, I mean, I have been following him and following him and following him. And you're like, yeah, he seems pretty cool, but, you know, I'll get to him eventually. And I'm like, no, you've got to get to this guy. And now here we are. This guy. And now like, here he, we are. He's amazing. Yeah, we were, we were able to talk to him, whatever. Super, super cool dude. Very, very animated. Um, very, very um, positive and happy. A lot of energy. I, I, I've sensed a lot of energy from him. And he knew who I was because, Michelle, tell the story what happened last night. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I asked you to call the church to confirm the times. But you, in true Andy fashion... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So what happened was, um, we didn't know what time he was speaking, um, and we couldn't find it on the website. Um, and so we were like, I tried calling the number before I did that. I called the phone number, and I got, like, a bunch of offices. And oh, nobody... Yeah. Call? I called the number. And, you know, I didn't, you know, get anywhere. I'm like, you know what? Let me just go ahead and, and nip this in the butt real quick. So I jump on Facebook, and I like Jay Warner Wallace's um, page. I'm like... Hey, buddy, we want to come see you tomorrow, and uh, we'd like to know the times that you're speaking. You're the best. Thanks a lot. Something along those lines. And 
Um, you know, for us in, in central New Jersey, outside of the Princeton Trenton area where we're from, it, it would take us a good, it said like 145 the GPS, but it was about an hour and a half we got here, right? So we made an hour and a half drive. Uh, which that in itself was pretty good. I mean, waking up super early, like you, we were out of the house by like 6.30. I picked you up at 6.30. Right, you picked me up at 6.30. And, um, yeah, so uh, driving down the shore at 6.30 was a, a great drive in itself. You know, so, it was a, so the time was about like an hour and a half for us. So we needed to know times and we needed to know how to get there. So I just go ahead, jump on his Facebook. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to take care of this right now. I email him. I, I, I private inbox him. I'm like, I'm like, hello, sir. We want to come check you out. What times are you on? And I went ahead and I tagged that on one of his pictures. So no matter what, he's finding it. And sure enough, within less than an hour, maybe within a half an hour, not even, he goes ahead and says, yeah, hey, I think it's at 8.30 or 10.30. Like, he wasn't even sure. But he was like, he was like 8.30 and 10.30. And, um, and I got my answer. Yeah, and I get... I'm at work and I text you. I'm like, I'm really busy at work. Just got a new baby to take care of. Can you call? Like an hour and a half later, I get the message from you. JWW just inboxed me. He said like 8.30 or 10.30. And what was your reaction? JWW just inboxed you. Now for Michelle, you know, JWW, as in J. Warner Wallace, is, uh, is her own personal rock star. She loves this guy. Uh, and tell them the reasons why you love this guy. Um... He has the police and forensic and science background, and I have a science and EMS. I grew up in firehouses, you know, with EMTs and firefighters, so we have similar backgrounds, similar philosophies, and I think similar reasons for not believing before, so his, he just speaks to me. The way that he breaks things down, the way he investigates things, it's how I think. And there goes the beauty of Christianity in some form or fashion for everybody, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my dear friend Michelle is a science geek. She just loves science and math. Yeah, no problem. I, I say geek with an open and, and loving heart. She's a science geek. She loves, uh, you know, science and math and logical thinking, all that kind of stuff. I mean, are you into philosophy too? It doesn't even matter anymore. No, I do. I, I like my philosophy. I do have the right yeah. thoughts literature minor. Right, okay. I love philosophy and literature. So, Jay Warner Wallace, who's a, an apologist, you know, who, who studies Christian apologetics, spoke to her from a medical science uh, uh, logic uh, philosophy background. And that's how we're going to get the, the message of Christ across. And for me, for example, I am a history guy. I love history with a burning passion. You guys know that from History by Fire. That's part of the reason why we call the name History by Fire, for that si simple reason. And so for me to, uh, to come to Christ, it was through the historical record to prove in the existence of Christ and then to seeing what the disciples were doing outside of the gospel, but yet complimenting the gospel. And so for me, it was hitting my historical ner uh, nerves. And, you know, Jay Warner Wallace also is a history guy. He enjoys history. And he even, I even told him about how I love history and how it got me to Christ. And he was really cool into that. So that is how... We, um, we are going to get it connected is we got to um, not only gospel to people, but we also have to go ahead and, and hit them in ways that, that they uh, will understand or ways they will learn or things that they enjoy. So if you're science brained, if you're science minded, then clearly science and math and all that kind of stuff is going to go ahead and logically, you know, dictate your faith. Whereas me, I'm on the other side similar but different. Well, I'm the historical guy. I want records. I want, I want, um, I want uh, uh, testimonies, I want books, all that kind of stuff that are going to help me prove the existence of Christ. And then from there, it snowballed for me. And 
I also want to say is, didn't you just compliment me on how I just, quote unquote, I had the stones to go ahead and contact JWW? You have the stones to contact pretty much anybody. But yes, that's, I wish I had your confidence sometimes and just putting yourself out there. And it paid off. Paid off again leaving with them. And you have a new BFF. Yes, yes, JW is my new BFF. We really, really connected, and I look forward to reaching out to him, and we're going to see what transpires. And I, I mean, that was really the biggest thing for me, is we connected on a more personal level, and he really was warm to us. And uh, we. And he's going to say hi to Frank Turk for me, which we love Frank Turk and crossexamine.org. It's really a lot of exciting stuff. What can I say? I mean, the talk was great, which we're going to get into in a little bit, and then just meeting him afterward. And I also want to say and comment to what Michelle said about me having the stones to do things. I have this uncanny ability to just go out and just do things. And I actually said to her, and the term I used today, literally like less than a half an hour ago, was if you look at life as a detective, just like JW does, then how can you not uncover things every day? If you make your day uh, an, every, an everyday today detective story, like I'm going to do this today and see where it takes me, you're going to find something, right? Absolutely. Okay, and I got, I got news for you. History, the uh, study of history is a form of detective work. Because I don't know if you are aware or not, but the word history comes from the ancient Greek, historia, which means to inquire. I feel a very similar connection between historians and also detectives because they are inquiring and investigating certain things. And that's when you go ahead and you make arguments and you conduct arguments because you, you are trying to find certain things. Right? Yes, correct. Oh, I remember that flap from last time. It's, it's, it's one of your, you know... It could be worse. Somebody, somebody told me that the bottom of their car is falling. Somebody I know, somebody very dear to my heart told me that her car is falling underneath. I hope she gets that fixed real soon. Going back to the detective work, every day, so to speak, will get you answers. You know, it's like that whole saying like, every answer leads to something. Every question leads to another answer. If you keep on asking, you always have an abundance of answers. You know? Kind of like our talk on the way here. Right. We're talking and talking, and I'm like, all of a sudden, I just answered my own question like 15 minutes later because we circled back around. Right, exactly. And now that makes sense. So that, so that explains why I have these quote-unquote stones, so to speak, because I just go ahead and I ask and I ask, and if I get a wall, if the door closes, uh, I open another door. And if this, I just try to make things bounce. If something ends, bounce on to the next one. Eventually through patience and persistence, you're going to get through your goals. And I want all my viewers over here in Radio World, Logos, to listen to that. If you keep on knocking on the door, something's going to happen. So I want you to keep on keeping on, okay? Do it for the Spartan, ladies and gentlemen. Do it for the Spartan. Anyway, let's talk about the talk, the discussion. Well, first of all, we went to a place called Ocean City Tabernacle. So in Ocean City Tabernacle, if you are listening, we give you much respect. We have a great, great church there, you know, and... Um, Nice facility. I love that we got a recording of the sermon. Yeah, for three bucks you get a recording of the entire sermon. And it was fantastic. People, the music, the two singers were phenomenal. And just everybody was very welcoming, very nice. And I love that they do that, that they put that whole thing together. Exactly, yeah. The music was there. It was funny. There were two sermons. One was a more... Um, uh, 
traditional. Uh, they call it traditional. So the morning was, I guess, more for for the elderly and more piano and organ playing. And then contemporary was the older one, was the later sermon, and that one was more. Uh, you know, younger kids in a band with drums and guitars and bass, but they also included the piano and the uh, keyboards, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I loved how he came over from the organ to play the keyboard. Was... Yeah, and I saw him walk to you. There's a biggest smile on his face. He was like shaking his arms with a smile. I'm like, that kind of dedication you only find through uh, Christian followers, you know? People just have that light in them, that spirit, that animated spirit. So we go there, and we stay for two services, and we saw Jay Warner Wallace speak twice, and um, I got a lot more, you know, um, I got both uh, sermons. I got a lot more with the second one, uh, but they both were great. So, my, my um, beautiful science brain friend, let's talk about the talk off the top of uh, our head. What do we remember? So, he basically, what, was he, what would you say was the argument for today's uh, talk? Um, he, well, the whole point was the resurrection and proving whether or not it happened because the resurrection is the foundation for Christianity. Like he said, if it happened, you know, we're all right and it's great. If it didn't happen, then we are all to be pitied. Yes, I really wish I can remember, I believe it was Peter. Peter uh, it was Peter, who basically said that we are not worshiping Christ through vain and we are not making up stories. Because if we did, it would totally... Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, guys. So scholars, do not crucify me, please. But he basically said that we are in guilt and we are in pity if we were, were lied to about the Christian faith and if we are believing a false god or a false resurrection. So that was kind of the basis of his talk. He applies, what would you, how would you call it? Uh, basically detective work, cold case work on how to prove the existence of Christ. And in this case, the resurrection. Did it happen or did it not happen? So he first shows us a picture of the crime scene of a woman. He said that the example was he got a phone call that a woman was dead. And they go into the house and they knew who the woman was. The woman was a, a drug abuser. And they said that the judge, based on what they saw in her dresser, which is a bunch of crack rocks and a bunch of heroin needles, that based solely on that, they assumed, which is the wrong thing to do, but they assumed that she overdosed. And to their credit, it is perfectly okay to realize that because you see a dead body in the bed and then you see the, uh, the crack pipes and all the drug abuse that she did. It's perfectly reasonable to go ahead and think that that's what happened. However, you cannot assume that because that's not what happened. Okay, so you always have to go ahead and weigh in the evidence of what you see and to determine where you go from there. So what happened? Well, an hour and a half later, the coroner arrived and pulled down the covers and she had been stabbed multiple times and they had never even looked. So there you go. So the cause of death of the perceived drug uh, abuser and, the, and them thinking that she died from the drugs, the coroner proved otherwise she was stabbed to death. So it was ruled as a murder. The coroner proved otherwise simply by taking in the whole picture. Right. The coroner, uh, coroner took in the whole picture. She went ahead and unraveled the, the, uh, the covers and found multiple stab wounds. So this is the approach we have to take for, the, for the, uh, the resurrection of the gospel. And so what we do is we go ahead and they say, okay, on this presentation, we have an empty tomb. And he also said something along the lines of if, if the, um, so we have an empty tomb, so either he raised, Christ either raised from the dead or he did not raise from the dead. So what are some of the things that would happen if he was not raised from the dead? Well, they would have found a body. They would have um, 
the the Roman government or whatever would have produced the body. And according to uh, JW's uh, quote, they probably would have went ahead and like ran it, you know, uh, dragged it through the streets, and there would have been like here's here's the uh, quote unquote Messiah's body, and that would have been done. But they couldn't find a body in the tomb. Okay, and uh, the body in the tomb was missing, and they couldn't find the body. Okay, and then you know we also have to be be uh, uh, careful with conspiracy theories at this point because we're gonna actually get into a minute um, about conspiracy theories as to why we really can't uh, rely on them for multiple reasons. But you know we cannot assume that okay the body was stolen. All right, which I don't know I, I don't know the exact details, but I'm pretty sure that the the Romans were guarding it, and there's no way that the body could have been stolen uh, for various reasons. And then there's no trap door in the uh, grave to go ahead and remove the body. I mean, that'd be kind of weird. That doesn't sound like, like Indiana Jones to me, you know? Uh, and so that's not a possibility. So we have to go ahead and, like you said, take in what we, uh, what we can observe, what's observable proof, empty tomb. And then it goes on to say, uh, and let's, talk, let's talk about the, the conspiracies for a little bit. Do you remember the, exper the, the conspiracies, what he was saying? The five things that you need for a conspiracy. Right. Or what? You need the smallest number of co-conspirators. So let's say for a, a, a successful conspiracy to work, you would need, let's just say, at a minimum and probably maximum at this point, two people, right? Correct. Um, number two. Well, number two is the shortest amount of time. That's Meaning? To, you have to keep the lie going for the shortest amount of time. The longer you have to keep a lie going, the higher the chance it's going to fall apart. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and number three. What's number three? You have to have excellent communication between the co-conspirators. Okay, excellent communication between the co-conspirators. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's easy to say nowadays because we have all this social media and Twitter and Instagram, all that kind of nonsense. But obviously they didn't have that back then. That was three. What else? Okay, let me think. Number, number five was little to no pressure. It has to be applied. I'm trying to think of number four. Wait, hold on, hold on. So number five, little to no pressure, meaning that if nobody's asking questions and nobody's pressing them, okay, they're not going to go ahead and, and say and admit to the crime, right? Oh, four was uh, familial relationships. Um, Family is more likely to stick up for each other, not rat each other out. Where so the closer the relationship, the higher the chance that they're going to stick together. The further the relationship apart, then um, the more chance your person's going to turn on you. So you really want to keep it close. Yes, yes, and also to also mention something about when you do have two conspirators, you go ahead and you separate them, and you you grill them separately because if they're the, to keep them away from communication. You know, uh, by keeping them away from communication, they will not be able to consult and, cons and, cons and conspire together. So if you grill them separately, you get separate answers, there's a consistency in their argument. Now, why are we bring this up? Because none of these things could have happened when the disciples dispersed. When they went ahead and they left, and, they went, and when Jesus commanded them all to make disciples of man, go to the nations of the world, they went ahead and they dispersed. And every single one of them, if not all of them, Okay, you know, or, or I think those are maybe one or two survivors. I can't remember, but mo but a lot of the, they were all tortured and killed. All every single apostle, ladies and gentlemen, they were all killed for their belief system. They were tortured, at least, yeah. Or at the very least, tortured. Okay, but definitely, but definitely a lot of them were crucified and martyred. 
Okay? So the question remains is, if you're going to get martyred for a lie, why go through it? Exactly. That was his point. He's like, you have, you know, you have the 12, but then you have 500 people who claim to have seen him. So you have a high number of people over huge distances, over 60 years worth of time that everything was going on and being written under extreme pressure from the torture and just t pressure in general of being a Christian at that time. Very few of them were related. You had a couple of sets of brothers, but mm -hmm. that was really the minority. And they all stayed consistent. They all, so every single one of those conspiracy things, every one of those points was kind of thrown out the window. They, yeah, that's right, they did not add up. They did not add up, every single one of them. I mean, you know, the biggest ones for me is um, the, all the story. The story stayed straight. There were multiple witnesses. They saw over uh, one time over over 500 people saw saw the risen Christ. Okay, the, the disciples saw them at, at other points. Mary was the first one to see them. So it isn't so much if you want to argue like, oh, well, let's say Mary Magdalene was hallucinating. And what about what about um, the Saint Paul on the road to Damascus? What's, what if he was hallucinating? Let's assume for a minute those two were hallucinating. Okay? That doesn't change all the other people that saw the, uh, uh, the risen Christ. It doesn't change the disciples who saw the risen Christ. Okay? And it doesn't change the fact that their story, even though they were spread out like outlaws. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a lot like, you know, like, like uh, if you ever saw um, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, right? And uh, when the, after Darth Vader turns to the dark side, and then he, and then, uh, he, um, he orders uh, Order 66 that destroys all the Jedi, all the Jedi. And what did he say to uh, Vader? He says, wipe them out, all of them. So it was like a mass purge, if you will. And these disciples were on the run from their homeland, as it was. And then they would go to foreign lands, and they would go ahead and they would preach. And they were either hunted down, tortured, and or executed. For a lie? Are you kidding me? doesn't make sense to me. doesn't make sense to me at all. You know, they could have went ahead and they could have confessed to their sins uh, or, or confessed to a lie and they didn't. So the bottom line is there are many inconsistencies with the spreading of the gospel through the apostles. And I got to be honest with you, I am very fascinated with that area of history. And that's something that I plan to investigate in the future. Because, I mean, they scattered. They were, dri they were driven out. They were literally stomped out of their homeland. And they spread to other foreign lands and they spread the gospel. And um, and then they were they were uh, they paid for it. They paid with it for their life, you know. And then surprise, surprise, later on in the Roman Empire, it showed up again the Christians. So it spread and it spread effectively. But that's pretty much the basis of of his argument to using uh, cold case, you know, and uh, detective means to go ahead and prove the existence of Christ, or at the very least, at this situation, to prove the existence of. Uh, I mean, to prove that there was no dead body and then there must have been resurrection. Yeah, I mean, it, then he just kind of went on from there where he had his roadblocks to... Um, I was just going to get into that. Well, I was just saying, he just, he used that same philosophy in every one of his arguments. He attacked every argument the same way. He just kind of broke it down and said, this is why it couldn't work. But yet he acknowledged that every argument, including the argument for the resurrection, has its strengths and its weaknesses. You just have to measure the strengths versus the weaknesses. You have to go with reasonable. What's reasonable? Not oh yeah, that was that was an important point too. He made in his presentation. He said uh, we have to go with reasonable doubt over possible doubt. 
okay? Um, because we can go ahead... I like this Matrix. I'm like, I liked his world. Right, right, the Matrix, right. He used the Matrix, you know. Is it possible that we're all in the Matrix right now? Sure. Is it reasonable? Not really. Not at all. But that's the point. We cannot go by possible uh, uh, data, ladies and gentlemen. If we go by possible data, nothing will get solved. So how do we fix that? We go by reasonable data. Okay, what is reasonable? And that should go ahead and not only help you with your Christian faith, but also you should do that with everything in your life. What is possible and what is reasonable? If it's possible, don't let it get you down. If it's reasonable, then you should really be concerned about it. And you should do what is reasonable. And also, too, let's talk about that graph you're talking about, about the roadblocks. So you put up a graph between two, uh, two paths. And uh, in one path, it said... It was actually the ultimately ultimately two scenarios. Which were were they? That Christ resurrected, either Christ was risen or he was not risen. And on the graph on the left was risen, and there was one pillar there, one roadblock. And the roadblock was, I cannot believe in supernatural is what he said. If it is a supernatural claim, then it no longer is history. It's more supernatural, and it's almost in the realm of mythology, and I cannot prove it, and I will not prove it. And on the other side of the... Um, the, the, the roadblocks were a bunch of roadblocks that said Jesus uh, uh, the apostles were wrong the, uh, yeah, yeah right right the reasons that, the, that they, he did not rise and right they were fooled they were deceived they were hallucinated there were seven arguments deceived they were fooled they lied they, 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 were, they were using you know I don't know something as insane as delusional all this kind of stuff but the problem was and this is what helped him with his, his logic is those longer, bigger gaps were easily manageable and probably easily able to go ahead and solve. The one that he could not solve was the one he placed on himself. And what was the one he placed on himself? Was his lack of faith in the supernatural. And it, he, he, the, it seemed like at the time he had the supernatural, uh, but he was unaccepted. He was, the only thing that was blocking him to accept the, uh, the supernatural was in, his inability to accept the supernatural. And that is, until you accept that, then that pillar falls and that roadblock falls. And he goes ahead and says that a lot of people today in church, it's possible that they haven't gotten there yet. They haven't suspended their disbelief to think that it's highly possible that Christ was who he said he was, the son of the living God, and that he re resurrected from the dead. And which is why it validates what Peter said, that, um, you know, we saw the living God uh, rise up from the dead. So our faith is not in vain. Our faith is true. And I think also it was Frank Turk that said, if, if Christ did not resurrect, that means that we have no help for resurrection. We have no hope for salvation. That means if Christ did not resurrect, that means when we die, we are in the gutter. We are in the dirt. We don't move. Right, and I liked how we tied it back to the scenario with the, the drug addict in the beginning how the officers walked in, they knew her, they saw the paraphernalia, they did look at the whole picture, they stood in their own way and said, oh yeah, this is an overdose. They never took the time to put away their own biases and take in the whole picture, and that that's what he had to do for himself with Christianity. He realized that not believing in supernatural things was his roadblock. It was him walking in and making that assumption that she OD'd. You know, that this was his assumption that stood in his own way. And once he took that down and looked at the whole picture and looked at the evidence, then he realized that there really is no other way.
the evidence was all pointing to what he didn't want to believe. Exactly. Evidence points to what he didn't want to believe. You know, so anyway, I highly recommend this talk, ladies and gentlemen. You really should check it out. You should go ahead and um, check them out at coldcasechristianity.com. There's a lot of information there. You can even go ahead and uh, download the app if you want. And just, you know, one of the other pastors, when they were closing it tonight, they went ahead and said that, you know, gener and even uh, JW said this, even Generation Z, this is probably going to be a problem with Generation Z trying to prove the uh, existence of Christ and the, and the validity of Christianity. But the good news is the gospel as it is, and also Christian apologetics that goes ahead and answer these questions. I mean, in what way in 2017, in this modern time, do we not, we have the resources to prove our faith to be true. And in this case, it was, uh, it was forensics, it was uh, detective work of an ex-cop who was an atheist and claimed to be an atheist that started to believe in Christianity because it just was simply true. And this is why we need Christian apologetics uh, into the new year, 2018 and beyond, because I got news for you. I'm going to hold that flag. I'm going to be the Christian apologetics guy because I need to prove it to myself. I need to prove it to my others. And faith is what's going to make you believe that Christ died for our sins on the cross. But it's going to be the apologetics for the tools that lead you to that conclusion because we still need a tool bag. That was even my favorite part. What? The... Um Horrible say the, basically the autopsy result part that he he brought in medical reasoning as to to prove that Jesus really was dead on the cross and not just you know near dead or that it wasn't a resuscitation it was a resurrection. Oh yes, that was a great that point. Is so science and medical and science and medical is so against Christianity a lot of times that it. I'm just like, yeah, wait a minute, I know that. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and touch up on that real quick, okay? And that actually was like probably my favorite point of, of the entire thing, all right? So, let's talk about that. So, to go ahead and to, for those of you who don't know, crucifixion, I'm actually going to go ahead and do a whole broadcast on crucifixion itself and what Christ went through. But for, just for now, for this sake of, uh, for this episode, I'm going to go ahead and give you just what crucifixion is. Crucifixion basically is uh, mass suffocation. Okay, you're either tied or, or nailed to a cross and your body slowly dies and asphyxiates itself because you don't have the ability to hold your body up. Okay, so you're nailed to this cross or tied to this cross and your body slowly dies because you can't breathe. Okay, and the two ways that they went ahead and made that, to expedite that, to make that faster was nailing with nails so you bleed out as well as you, as you asphyxiate. And also, in this case, you break their legs with a, I guess I assume it's a sledgehammer back then. Because if you're on a cross and you break uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the person that's being crucified's legs, they, have, they don't have the ability to go ahead and stand themselves up and they die faster. So, in scripture, I think, it, I believe it was in John, it said that it described, it described the crucifixion that they, uh, the Romans broke the other two people's legs that died on the cross that were crucified with Jesus. And in his case, they did not break Christ's uh, legs. They also tried to see if, it was dead, if, they were, if he was dead as well. Instead, they went ahead, they speared his side. Because he was dead. He was they dead. They didn't break his legs because he was dead. They didn't break his legs because he was dead. And the, but the way to prove that was to go ahead and spear him in the side. So what happened? We know this from scripture. And John says that 
after the Romans uh, speared him on the side, blood and water came out. And for 2,000 years almost, 1,800, 1800 years, nobody understood why John wrote, and even the, uh, the apostles didn't understand this, why they went ahead and wrote that water and blood came out. Do you want to tell them why water and blood came out, Miss uh, Medical? Well, prior to the crucifixion, Christ was beaten within an inch of his life. He was very severely beaten, blunt force trauma. And um, when he died that way, and then he, with the crucifixion, it was too much for his body, and basically he went into cardiac arrest. And when you're in cardiac arrest, you can end up with a pericardial effusion, which is fluid around the heart, or a pleural effusion, which is fluid in the chest cavity. And the, you get that one when you're more upright, when you go into cardiac arrest. So a pleural effusion would make sense that if he had a pleural effusion, when you stabbed him in the chest, you would get blood, but you would also get that fluid that was in the chest cavity surrounding his lungs that you only pretty much get when you go into cardiac arrest, which is pretty much the definition of death, that your heart stops. So uh, basically, what you're saying is, after they prove, after they, they stabbed on the side, the blood and water prove he pretty much was dead. Yeah, you can use um, the mechanics of death and what happens to your body when you die, especially in certain ways, to prove that he was dead when they pierced him. And there it is. And there it is. And and like I said before, the apostles and the people studying at the time who didn't have science at the time didn't understand why blood and water came out. But that's the beauty of ob observing history or, or the beauty of observing what happened. John didn't know about blood and water and the mixture and um, what it meant, uh, you know, the fluid in your heart. He wrote it as he saw it. So that's two ways that he could prove that something happened. So this is fascinating stuff. I mean, this just blew my mind today. You know, uh, anyway, any, do you want to add anything before we wrap this up? Uh, no, just that I like him more than I have before and can't wait to read the rest of his books. Same here. Uh, JW has become my new BFF, hopefully. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to re research his stuff uh, with, a, uh, you know, with much more precision, precision and I'm going to bring it to you guys. Uh, because, listen, we need the apologetics. It's, it's as simple as that. We need apologetics to go ahead and to not necessarily prove our faith, but to go ahead and point the people in the right direction as our, as our faith, for, for our faith. His point at the end, like you had started to mention Generation Z, parents and grandparents, I have two young children. I need to know how to teach my children this, these things because the world is getting harder and harder and even more against Christian. A lot of the Generation Zers, like when we were talking to him in between the sermons, see Christianity as a bunch of racists and bigots because they stand up for things that secular society is now saying, oh, no, that's okay, just love everybody, love everybody as they are, and Christianity is like, no, that's not right. And well, that's a whole... able to explain this and educate our children, so you need apologetics so that you can educate your children, not just in math and science and literature and all that stuff, but also in the Christian faith. You right. don't have to go out and preach to people, but you can bring it home and use it with your own family. Well said, well said. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a very, very good point. We, um, we have to stand by our morals and our faith and uh, our values found in our faith, and we have to follow Christ. You know, Christ said, Whoever, whoever's not with me is against me. And um, do not think, do not think uh, I, I came uh, 
to bring the, I, I came with a sword. I, I did not come for peace. I came to bring the sword because what I say to the people is if you're the authority, okay, whether you like it or not, he's the son of God. It's, it's one thing if you can believe it, but if you are wrong, then you have to be held accountable by the most powerful thing that created the entire universe. You know, and you got, you have to figure out for yourself where you stand. That's what it comes down to, because if you're right, then okay. Then when we die, again, we just go to the ground. But if we're right, the Christians are right, then you are going to have to be held accountable, and you're going to be judged like we're all going to be judged by the, the Heavenly uh, Creator, the Heavenly Father. And that, that is why we have to take Christ's words with authority, okay? Anybody can sweep Christ's words uh, underneath, underneath the rug. It's not going to change his authority. And if he's the authoritative one, we cannot mince words, okay? He needs to be listened and followed and obeyed, and he will give you life. It's as simple as that. For those who don't know, for those who haven't done it yet, come to Christ. He will give you life. Anyway, uh, we had a great time today. This is a great way to spend a Sunday. It was early, early morning, but I was okay with waking up this morning. When you get a chance, I would like you all, if you really enjoyed this episode, to also check out the network, the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network. You can find that at historywithgod.org. There are a lot of great different uh, episodes. You can find mine there, obviously, about historical themes and Christianity and uh, apologetics stuff. And then there's also so many other great stuff. One show every day, ladies and gentlemen, for the week. So please check that out. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us and listening in. We really, really appreciate it. Any uh, last words, Michelle? I, every time I say that to you, it's like I'm going to you know, feed you to the sharks or something. Any last words? Arr! Yeah, you're the fiercest shark in my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, not always men as one. Yeah, you, you know, you're the best. But um, check out Jay Warner Wallace. He is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, check out Jay Warner Wallace and make your life known with apologetics, okay? I issue everybody that's listening to right now a challenge. Pretend that your faith is shaky. Pretend that your faith is being tested, which it is. Prove it. Challenge yourself, and in, in challenging yourself, you become better equipped by putting on the full armor of God, and you will also challenge others, but you also will help others. So go do it in the name of Christ. Have a fantastic Sunday, and I'll catch you guys next week. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by A History With God Ministries, ahistorywithgod.org.